Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to Numbers chapter 7. And I did notice uh, the front line there, the team was all Canadian as well, not just the, the ensemble. And so it's good to see Danielle and Chad and Jared and Faith and and Austin, and of course I'm Austin's dad, and I don't know if he claims me, I claim him, and I'm glad and proud, very proud of Austin and all that he has been allowed to do by the hand of the Lord. And uh, the only the only one on that worship team that was not Canadian was a song leader, but not everything can be perfect, Amen. And so, but I I do wonder this. I was wondering this when when Pastor Chapel started the college and started the church all those years ago. I wondered if he ever envisioned he would have that many Canadians on the platform as the worship team. And what a great, great thing to, to see that, that God is no respecter of persons and that every tongue and nation and creed will all worship together. And I praise the Lord for that. That was a blessing to me. Thank you, young people. Thank you for that song. And I, I was sitting there thinking, boy, I've heard this song before. And then I, I started singing along. I thought, well, I know the words. And then I realized... When, when our church is desperate, they'll ask me to sing once in a while, and I sang that with the choir years ago, and it was neat to see my son sing the same song all these years later, and uh, what, a, what a blessing this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, Canada is a needy country. As of right now, we have about 320 independent Baptist churches all across Canada. That's a nation of about 35 million people, and uh, when I say across Canada, some people, they'll say to me, uh, you know, you might, you've probably asked Austin this. Do you know so-and-so? Do you know Jared? And Jared lives in Vancouver. Austin lives in Ontario. That's as far apart as Niagara Falls and Portland, Oregon. And so if you think about it in those contexts, but we don't always understand other countries that well. And so I, I, I did the same thing when I went into Bible college, was asking about people all over the nation. We are the second largest nation in the world geographically. We are larger than the United States of America. So you think about only 330 churches all around. We are the only independent Baptist church in our entire county. And so we have to drive 30, 40, 50 miles before we can find another pastor to fellowship with. We just had a youth rally this past Saturday. We had 200 teens there. That is incredibly huge in Canada because that's, that represents about 10 churches that came, uh, some of them four or five hours just to be to a youth rally. So why are you saying all that? When I was a little boy... Canada was, wasn't as diverse as it is today. I went to, when I went to school, we, we don't call them African-Americans or African-Canadians in Canada. Uh, we only had two African-Canadians in our entire school. And then uh, we only had two in our entire church. And, and so we never knew a lot of people from other ethnicities, not at all. But now about 40% of Canada is visible ethnic minorities. You know, why am I saying all this? Because if you are looking for a mission field, I would encourage you to come to Canada. Of those 320 churches, we have about 50 empty pulpits today. 50 empty pulpits. It is estimated, uh, some of you might know Pastor Al Stone. He and I are very close friends. And uh, we've been talking and praying about this issue. We estimate in the next five years, we could have as many as 100 to 150 independent Baptist churches, nearly half, that do not have pastors. About one-third of our pastors are Canadian. The rest are usually Americans that have given their lives to come up and serve in Canada. And we love them and we appreciate them so much. And I, I throw that in there to say it is possible to come to Canada. I've, I've heard people say this, what is it like serving in socialist Canada? I would never go to socialist Canada, but you'll go to communist China. And you'll go to Muslim Indonesia. The people in Canada are dying and going to hell. And we need laborers. 
come over into Canada and help us. We are desperate. And in 10 years from now, we're going to see many churches close. I, I can name five churches right now within a two-hour drive from where I live that if they don't get a pastor in the next little while, they will close. We are desperate. So pray with us. I didn't come up here to to weep on the pulpit or to plead with you in that way, but I just felt like on the tail of your missions conference, I feel like it's important that that I just plant that seed in your mind. And here's the thing. Uh, I I was taught a long time ago, and and by the way, Brother Getch, I I, I listened to Brother Getch preach when I was 14, 15 years old at the Bill Rice Ranch. I surrendered to the ministry under the preaching of Dr. Jim Shetler at the Bill Rice Ranch when I was 16 years old in 1988. And uh, I I remember being taught by these men that when you hear something from the Word of God or from the pulpit, you ought to pray about that. And so now I've confronted you with a challenge. You are obligated to pray about it. Whether it's about you going or maybe you've already settled in your heart and mind, God has already told you where you will go and where you will spend your ministry years. But at least pray for our nation. Would you take some time to do that? Maybe there's somebody else in here that God is stirring, and, 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 and today might be something that would help them to seal that time in their heart and mind that God has indeed called me to the nation of Canada. We could so desperately use you, and I will make you this commitment. I will do whatever I can in my power to try to help you get there. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what, what kind of investment that will take. But I will make my commitment to you that as long as I am able, I will do whatever I can in my power to help workers come into Canada, whatever, if that means immigration, if that means uh, uh, helping you find a job or a church, I'd be pleased to do that. We just recently brought a missionary into Canada and got him settled in Orangeville, Ontario. Uh, Mason went up there and worked with him last summer. Mason Hilger is here today. He came up and worked with that missionary last summer. And and I'm sincere when I say that we, we need you. And we're praying for you to come. Well, let's look at Numbers chapter 7 this morning. Numbers chapter 7, my message goes right along with that idea. And it's not a message about Canada or the need in Canada. It's just a message about sacrifice, about giving ourselves. And so let's look at Numbers chapter 7 this morning. I'm going to be a little bit interactive. I'm going to need you to pay attention. And uh, I don't have a ton of time this morning, so I'm going to ask you to listen very quickly. Can you do that? Would you listen very quickly? Numbers chapter 7, and we're going to begin reading together, if you will, in verse 10. Now, I'm going to tell you very quickly what is going on. In the first few verses of Numbers chapter 7, we find that we are coming to the dedication of the tabernacle. Not the temple yet, but the tabernacle. And they're going to travel around, and the tabernacle was meant to be portable. That's why it was a tent or a tabernacle. And, and you will see there was some, uh, uh, some that were from the tribe of Levi that were assigned different things. There was Merari and Kohath and those that were given ox carts and those who were not to carry the things, the tent poles and the canvases and, and then the very precious items of the tabernacle were carried by the family of Kohath. And, and they were not to bounce around in the back of ox carts, but they had an assignment to do. And so we're just assembling all these things and getting ready to to assemble the tabernacle, which one day will be assembled and and placed in Shiloh. But I want you to notice, as we come to uh, verse 10, we will find the dedication of the altar. Now keep that in mind. As we look at all the sacrifices that will take place and all the fanfare that is surrounding it and all the the worship and the celebration that is going on, this is not uh, dedicating the tabernacle. This is just the altar. 
They would have other services and other ceremonies to dedicate other things. And I'm sure you have done that in your local church or you've done that here. Perhaps you've bought a new bus and you want to dedicate that bus to the ministry and to the use of the Lord and reaching souls for Christ. And perhaps you'll have a soul winning Saturday where you'll have a, a bunch of maybe John and Romans or gospel tracts. So let's all pray over these pieces of literature as they go out that they might touch hearts and reach into lives. So we dedicate things unto the Lord. Perhaps you've dedicated your children unto the Lord. I, may, I hope you haven't had children in Bible college, but maybe some there's some married students here and you've got some children. We dedicated our children to the Lord, and you've all seen that in your local church. But this is just specifically for the altar. And notice what they do in verse 10. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 7, verse 10, I'm sorry, my page stuck together. Number verse 10. And the princes offered for dedicating of the altar in the day that it was anointed. Even the princes offered their offering before the altar. Now, the Bible says the word princes, and I just want to clarify what that means. It is not talking about some type of royalty. This is just simply a representative from each tribe. And they were called the prince. They were a mighty man, somebody that stood out, somebody that you would call on. If, if you were to think of somebody in your heart, in your mind, in your local church, you might say, well, that's the guy I can trust with this job. And that's what these princes were. And so the Bible says they called out this, this gentleman. And the Bible says uh, they all offered. And in verse 11, and the Lord said unto Moses, they shall offer their offering, each prince, on his day for the dedicating of the altar. And he that offered his offering the first day was Nashem, the son of Aminadab of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver charger, the weight thereof was 130 shekels, the silver bowl, one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them were full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One spoon of ten shekels of gold full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, for a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nation, the son of Aminadab. So notice the offering that was given. There was all kinds of things, wasn't there? There was a charger or a platter, if you will. It's a silver platter, a silver charger. You'll remember, I always kind of wondered what a charger was, but John the Baptist's head was served up on a charger. It's a platter. That's all it is. And then there was a bowl of 70 shekels weight. And the Bible says the shekel weight was of the weight of the sanctuary. You say, why is that important? Well, because in those days, if you were to find an old Roman coin today, you would find they're all different shapes and sizes. Corners were chipped out. They weren't punched out in a, a mint like they are today. And so sometimes those, those corrupt people would chip off a little bit of silver. And so it would always be a little different size. But the temple or the sanctuary weight or the temple weight was always the same. It had to be approved by the priest. And so it had a, a certain significance to it. So there was a consistency about it, in other words. And so they had a silver platter of 130 shekels weight. They had a, a silver bowl of 130 shekels weight. And then they had a gold spill, spoon filled with incense of 10 shekels weight. And, and you say, well, what is that? Is that a big deal? Well, it's worth a lot of money, by the way. That 130 shekels of silver in today's money, I looked up a couple weeks ago, is worth about $1,666 just for a silver platter. That's a lot of money. That silver bowl of 70 shekels weight is worth about $850. And that gold spoon, listen, that gold spoon of 10 shekels weight, that's not a lot, is it? 10 shekels is only about four ounces, is worth about $9,800. Can you imagine having a spoon 
worth $9,800. My mom just yesterday went to a a place in London. I should say London, Ontario, not England. And uh, there was a gold coin that she was given. It was called a $10 coin back in 1966. Somebody gave it to her as a Christmas bonus. It was worth $10. She took her to a gold dealer yesterday in London and was given $500 for it. Just this little gold coin of about a fifth of an ounce. Incredible. That's what these things were worth. Now, notice what happens on the second day. So Judah goes in. He makes his offering unto the Lord and all of these things. And beside that, don't forget, there's, there's animals, there's goats, there's bullocks, there's, uh, and there's a peace offering, and there's a sin offering, and all these things are being offered. And, and just think about this. Understand, one man did not carry all these things. A nation was rep- the representative, and he was the prince of the tribe, and he was to go and to make all these offerings, and he was to take all these things. But I believe that many, many people, thousands of people came to worship together, and they brought all these animals and all these things, and they offered them unto the Lord. Now look at day two. Look down, if you will, in verse 18. On the second day, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar, prince of Issachar, So now we have the tribe of Issachar did offer. He offered for his offering one silver charger, the weight whereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekels of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour uh, mingled with oil for a meat offering, one spoon of gold of uh, of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of a first year for a burnt offering, one kid of goats for a sin offering and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year, this was the offering of Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. Now, I read very quickly, but I'm going to see how smart West Coast Baptist College students are. Who noticed the difference between the two offerings of Judah and Issachar? Anybody notice the difference? Raise your hand if you notice the difference. You did, you're wrong. There is no difference. As a matter of fact, All 12 days, all 12 tribes offered the exact same thing. How many of you will believe me today? I I, I did the research. Here's the thing. If you don't believe me, I have to read all 89 verses and prove it to you. All right, who's going to believe me? Can we just stipulate this morning that all 12 tribes gave the same offering? It was exactly the same. Nobody was burdened more than any other tribe. Nobody was asked to do more than anybody else. They were to come with the same silver charger, the same silver bowl, the same gold spoon of incense. They were to have the flour mingled with oil. They were to have the ram. They were to have the bullock. They were to have the peace offering and the sin offering. They were to offer all the same things unto God. Each and every day for 12 days, they would offer unto the dedication of the altar. Now let me see if I can illustrate something for you this morning that... I struggled to understand because I'll be honest, I'm a Baptist. And Baptists are often cheap. And I'm no different. I'm always looking. My favorite word is free. I like that. I went into the Great Awakening this morning, and Brother Bishop heard my voice, and I've met him a few times. And he came over and said, No, 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 Brother Free, you're not paying. I went, Amen, Brother Bishop, I love you. Amen. I like free. 
So let me, let me see. I've got some things here today to help us understand a little bit and see if I can illustrate this. I'm just going to put these up here. And so I've got, some, I've got some silver chargers, all right? 130 shekels weight each, all right? And so we have one for the tribe of Judah, and we have one for the tribe of Issachar, and we have one for the tribe of Naphtali. I'll put that right there. And then we have the silver bowls right here, and these are 70 shekel weights, and we have 12 of those. Every day somebody is to go in and to give one. And, and they're to put them. I'm just going to lay them down here. If you can't see them, just believe me. All right. And then we have gold spoons. And these are 10 shekel weights, about four ounces in today's weight, but worth about $9,800. That's a lot of money. Now you say, why is the money important? And I'll tell you in a minute. So they had a spoon for each tribe, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Benjamin, all of them had a spoon of incense and they brought it. Now look, if you will, down to the end of the chapter. We're going to skip all those verses because you were so kind and said that you would believe me. Look what it says in verse 84. This was the dedication of the altar. In the day when it was anointed by the princes of Israel, 12 chargers of silver. Does that make sense? How many of you can do 1 times 12 equals 12? Good. All right. So we have 12 chargers. 12 days, 12 tribes, 12 chargers. It says we have 12. It says we have of silver, 12 silver bowls and 12 spoons of gold. Each charger of silver weighing 130 shekels. Each bowl, uh, 70, uh, each bowl, 70. All the silver vessels weighed 2,400 shekels. That's a lot of money. That's about $24,000 now worth of value. It's incredible. But then we have the gold. And now we're at about $110,000 worth of gold spoons. Now here's, here's my practical thinking. And, and I struggled to understand a little bit until God gave me the answer. If I'm the tribe of Judah and I go with my charger and I go with my bowl and I go with my Spoon, my gold spoon, that's silver, but you just picture it in your mind. You've got imaginations. If I go with all those things, and the Bible says the next day the tribe of Issachar is going to sacrifice, I've burned up the meat, the flour and the oil have been mingled with the meat, and they've been burned up and served and all the rest. It's all been sacrificed, all done, but now we've got these empty vessels. I would say, Issachar, here, go ahead and use that. Just go ahead. You don't need to... There's no sense going and finding somebody that can pound out another charger for you or pound out another bowl or mine some more gold and, and do all this work. Why don't we just share these things in the work of ministry? Why don't we help one another? And here's the principle God gave me. Understand this. Because the Bible says in verse 84, we got 12 of them. We don't need 12. We would need 12 if they were all offering their sacrifice at the same time on the same day, but we don't need 12. Why do we have 12? Here's why. How many of you believe the sacrifice was important to God? I mean, he was pretty specific in what he said he wanted, right? God said to Moses, tell the people, here's the sacrifice, here's what I want. Here's what also I learned. The sacrifice is of utmost importance, but listen, listen. The vessel it comes in is just as important. 
Don't ever forget that, young people. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 9 that we are to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. The Bible says in Jeremiah we are to offer a sacrifice of praise. Now, I'm thankful at Bethel Baptist Church, and I'm sure it's absolutely the same here. I need my Bible. It's absolutely the same here. Brother Getch, we have a congregation full of people that come every Sunday, and they sing God's praises. W- would you agree with that? Absolutely. So I, I, I've, been to the, I've been to conferences here. I've been to chapel here. The, the singing and the choir are second to none. I, I mean, the best thing you got going is a Canadian ensemble, amen? I mean, that is good stuff. And I, I, I see people that love to sing. They smile when they sing. I, I, I happened to kind of, I was just gazing around the room. I, I happened to see these two young ladies. Uh, I, I thought we were in a Pentecostal church room, and they were almost dancing when they were singing. They were enjoying that song. It was a blessing. And I could just see many of the student body getting excited about worshiping God and praising his name and saying, let me say this. Listen, you can sing a lot of things, and your vessel not be right. We can come with the sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of thanksgiving and the sacrifice of worship, but you have to have your vessel right. I'm thankful. We have a lot of people at our church. We have, a, we have an ensemble that we started seven or eight years ago, I guess, and Austin was a part of that when he was at our church, and uh, times I've been part of it, and we've, been, we've enjoyed that, and we both like singing, and we enjoy that. That ensemble, they work very, very hard. They meet on Monday nights and practice for a couple hours on Monday nights, and they, they just want to give their best, and they want to serve. And, and as a result, God has taken them to other places. They've gone down to big churches and states and sang at conferences, and God has used them, and it's been a blessing. And they get asked by churches in our area, come and do a Christmas thing or come and do a, a special night we're having, an anniversary service. And it, it's such a blessing. But I, I'm going to tell you, over the years... There's been times where I think, man, I see that guy up there singing. He's got a big smile, and the message of the song is Jesus saves and praise the name of the Lord our God. And, and boy, it's just such a sweet sound, and you can tell they've worked hard, and they blend so well, and, and, and it's stirring hearts in the auditorium. But I know his vessel's not right. And that's important to God. You say, well... That's Old Testament. Can I show you what the Bible says in the New Testament? In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20, it says this. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver. What do you think he was talking about? He's talking about this. He may not be talking about particularly the dedication of the altar, But he's talking about that time of sacrifice, these vessels that are used in worship and in sacrifice. He says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. I like to say this, and young people listen. It's not about composition. It's about consecration. 
He said, well, I'm just a vessel of wood. Hey, it's not about what you're made of. It's are you clean? How's your vessel? Are you separated unto God? I used to have this fella. He was from Nicaragua. And English was not even his second language. He really struggled with the language. But man, he loved the Lord. And so we'd have him in the church I used to pastor, a small church. He'd, he'd like to sing once in a while. And he, he couldn't sing. Not, not a bit. He loved that song, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. And he'd say, many things about tomorrow. That's how he'd sing. By the time he was done, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. Because it wasn't about composition. It was about consecration. If you were to put him up against other singers, you would say he's just a an earthen bowl, a clay of wood. He's not silver and gold. But his vessel was right. And he was clean. In every great house, there are vessels of silver and gold. Some to honor and some to dishonor. Listen, as all these tribes brought their sacrifices, listen, they could not borrow another man's vessel. There's some, there's some young people here today, Brother Gatch, that are saying, yeah, my dad's a great preacher in this country, and I've got his last name. And you're getting by on that. There's some young people here today that got a lot of charisma, but no character. I don't know you, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. I'm, I'm just saying that, that we sometimes, we try to borrow another man. We, we get in the right singing group, or we join the choir, and we, we're noted by the, you're, you're an exceptional preacher, or you're, you can teach a Sunday school class and hold those kids' attention, and you've got charisma, and you've got talent, and you've got ability. How's your vessel? And you've got everybody looking at you, and said, man, they're going to do great in the ministry. Not if you have a dirty vessel, you won't. Talent and charisma will only take you so far. There comes a time where you have to grow up and say, I need my own vessel. Every tribe had to forge their own. I, I wonder sometimes if there wasn't even a little competition. Well, our... Our guy can engrave some things on this and make it look better. I, hey, listen, I think you ought to improve and you ought to do better and you ought to try your best for God and you ought to give your best to God. But the point is this, everyone had to stand up and say, no, no, you can't borrow, some, you can't ride on the coattails of somebody else, you can't borrow from another. You can't just get plugged into some great ministry and say, I've made it. Some of you are going to leave Bible college and you're going to go off and you're going to join the church of 1,000 or 2,000, you're going to say, hey, man, I made it. I've got an office. I was just, I've been teasing Josh Tewad. How many of you know Josh Tewad? Just graduated. Danielle's boyfriend. And, and I was in Vancouver a little while ago, and I, uh, he wanted to show me his office. It's a broom closet. 
And I teased him. I said, did they move the mop before they let you get in there? And, and uh, he's, he's a great-spirited kid. He just loves the Lord and wants to serve. And, you know, some of you are going to get that. Some of you are not going to have an office. Some of you are going to get hired for the school janitor's job. But you can have a clean vessel. And you can be a vessel unto honor unto God. Others are going to think you made it because you got plugged in somewhere. Listen, you cannot borrow the vessel from another. You have to stand on your own two feet and say, when I offer unto God, I'm going to make sure my vessel's right. Let me show you something else, another principle this morning. I'm not going to read all 89 verses. My time is almost gone. I have about six minutes, and I'm going to try to use them wisely. If you were to read down, if you have paragraph markings in your Bible, you will see that every paragraph starts a new tribe. All the tribes are listed except for one. Can anybody guess what tribe that might be? It's the tribe of Levi. Remember, there were 12 brothers, but there were really 13 tribes. The tribe of Joseph had, or Joseph had two sons, and they were split into two tribes. And so we have Levi that was sanctified under the Lord. He said, what about Levi? Levi was the priestly tribe, and we didn't take the time to read the first 10 verses of the chapter, but we'll find that God had a special job for them, and they were to carry the things of the tabernacle and the instruments of worship and the the Ark of the Covenant and all those things they were in charge of, this tribe of Levi. But in my mind, again, my finite mind, I think the tribe of Levi ought to set the example. They're the priests. Let me ask you, if Brother Getz were to get up and say, hey, Saturday morning, we are going to go door knocking, and we want to reach the Antelope Valley as best we can, and so we want all the students to be there 9 o'clock Saturday morning, and Dr. R got up, and he said, listen, let me reinforce what Brother Getz says, you need to be there, we're going to reach souls for Christ, and you got there, and neither of those men showed up, what would you think? Well, some might say, well, they're out preaching, but what if they just slept in? You'd say, well, what kind of example is that? And that's how my mind thinks. And I look and I say, where's the tribe of Levi? Notice what it says in chapter 8. Look, jump down just a little bit in chapter 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses. So at the end of chapter 7 and and, in chapter 89, the Bible says that they had all these offerings, all these sacrifices. And in verse 89, it says, Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation on the 12th day, at the end of the 12th day, Moses goes and meets with God. And look what happens on the 13th day. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and say unto him, When thou lightest the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light over against the candlestick. And Aaron did so. He lighted the lamps thereof over against the candlestick, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now look down in verse 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites, oh, there they are, from among the children of Israel, and cleanse them. And thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purifying upon them, 
and let them shave all their flesh and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean and let them take a young bullock with his meat offering, even fine flour mingled with oil and another young bullock shalt thou take for a sin offering and thou shalt bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation and thou shalt gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel together and thou shalt bring the Levites before the Lord and the children of Israel shall put their hands upon the Levites and Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord for an offering of the children of Israel that they may exercise this, or execute the service of the Lord. And the Levites shall lay their hands upon the heads of the bullocks, and thou shalt offer the one for a sin offering. Notice who's offering. He says, thou shalt. It was Moses. He's dedicating the Levites unto the Lord. And the other for a burnt offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for the Levites. And thou shalt set the Levites before Aaron and before his sons and offer them for an offering unto the Lord. Thus shalt thou separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. And after that shall the Levites go in to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt cleanse them and offer them for an offering. For they are wholly given unto me from among the children of Israel. Instead of such as open every womb, even instead of the firstborn of all the children of Israel, have I taken them unto me. Let me demonstrate very quickly. I need 12 young men to come very quickly. Run right up here. Quickly. Run, 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 run. All the way up here. Come on up. All right. I need 12 young men. Now, here's, here's what's going on. Understand. Grab these silver bowls and things as you come, fellas. If you'll do that for me, just grab one. There's one right there. We only have enough for a few of you. That's fine. It's just an illustration. I, I'm going to see if West Coast students can count to 12. What do we got here? Spread out across the platform. Go all the way down, all right? Don't block Brother Getch. You'll get an F on that next test. All right, good enough. That's good enough. So here's, here's what's going on. If, if, I'm, if I'm a representative or a prince of the tribe of Levi, my mind is going wild, all right? So on the first day, Judah comes with all his sacrifice. On the next day, Issachar comes on the, with all his sacrifice. The next day, I believe it was Naphtali that comes with all his sacrifice. And down and down the road. Now... I, I'm not the smartest guy, but I'm starting to think, if I'm Benjamin down here, I'm thinking, hey, maybe I better get a silver charger ready. Maybe I better get a silver bowl ready. Maybe I better get a spoon ready. Because my day is coming. God has already instructed Moses that every day for 12 days this is going to happen. And so, so I'm preparing. Even though it's not my day, I'm getting ready to worship. And I'm preparing my bowl. And I'm getting the rams inspected and the bullocks inspected. And I'm getting those, those things all ready for my day of worship. Here's what I also think. Levi's probably doing the same. And yet he never gets to worship like that. Instead, how many do I got? I got four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Good job. Eleven. You've been up three times. <laughs> All the way down the line, and everybody is sacrificing, everybody's offering. How many of you think this was just a bloodshed? I mean, think about all the things that were offered. Incredible. When that priest was sacrificed, he'd take his finger in the blood and for the atonement blood was everywhere. And finally we get to Levi and Moses looks at him and says, guess what? You are the offering. That would scare me to death. <laughs> After what I've just seen the last 12 days, you are the offering. And that's exactly what happens. 
Moses makes offerings and he sacrifices unto God and he anoints and prays over these Levites and the whole nation of Israel comes, the whole congregation, and they assemble to dedicate the Levites unto the service of the Lord. And here's the principle, young people, listen. I am so thankful for those that come every Sunday and bring their sacrifice of praise and their sacrifice of worship and their sacrifice of thanksgiving. And I'm, I'm doubly thankful for the ones that have spent time to make sure their vessels are right for worship and they are going to serve God with pure hearts. And they've, they've prayed and they've pleaded with God and they've wept over the scriptures that week and they, they've prayed for their preacher and their choir and all those things that, they, that things might just go well. But listen, here's what we need. We need some Levites that are saying, I will be the sacrifice. We need the people in our church. But we need some men and women of God too. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Can I tell you something? I would dare say that 80, 90% of you have already decided that I will be that sacrifice, that I have, I have surrendered my life to ministry. I believe that God wants me to go somewhere and preach, to the mission field, to pastor, to be a Christian education worker, whatever. But now you have to sacrifice. If I were to title this message, I'd say some gave, but some gave all. How many of you are willing to say, I'm willing to lay down my life for the cause of Christ? I'm sure news reached back here of the missionary brother in Baghdad, Iraq, that was shot to death just two days ago. I sat under a conference that he taught on how to reach Muslim people and the love that he had for those people. It was incredible. And somebody asked him in the Q&A, do you ever feel a danger? He says, I know very well that I may have to one day give my life for what we are doing. And yet he still went. Jesus told Peter, one day men will carry you where you would not go. This spake he signifying his death. And yet Peter still went out and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying God's going to take your life if you go to mid-America somewhere. Listen, God doesn't want you to take your life. He wants you to give your life. Are you a living sacrifice? Holy, that's, that's an important word right there. Holy acceptable unto God.